Alright, January birthdays, okay? Do we all find them? Okay. Alright, I'm gonna embarrass the January birthdays uh, even more. Uh, if you're January birthdays, okay, can you stand real quick? Can you stand real quick, January birthdays? January birthdays, can you stand? I know Wendy's birthday is January. I heard there are many people, January. January, can you stand real quick, January? January, Janet, Janet, okay, Wendy. Who, who else is uh, January birthdays? Three? Only three? Oh, four, right there, five, there you go. All right, make sure you shake their hands afterwards. You haven't shaken their hands yet, okay? Uh, and as you know, and get candies on Kaya, she, it's not all for her. Uh, so th we are doing something new this year, which is uh, every week we're reading a catechism, uh, which is a confession of faith. And uh, this week, uh, what we'll do is uh, we, we, I will ask you the question, and you as a congregation will answer that, uh, respond to that. And then so uh, do we stand, Pastor Ding, or do we sit? It's up to me. Let's... Let's stand, you know, it's, it's, it's good morning, you know, this is a good confession, right? So, so I will ask you the question, okay, and you as a congregant uh, will, will respond in the, the answer here on the bottom right, uh, left. Uh, so, so I'm going to ask this question, okay? How many persons are there in God? And you as a congregation? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance equal in power and glory. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Um, as you know, every every time I'm here, you know, I'm asking you to pray for me. And, and you know, I have this fear. Part of my, my reason for prayer is I have this fear that if I'm not cleansed by God, if you're not praying for me, and halfway through my sermon, God strikes a lightning, and then I'm dead, right? So so for my sake and your sake, you don't want to see that, right? You want to make sure that I'm, I'm good with God, and, in, you know, and so you don't have to witness a pastor being struck down by lightning. And uh, and then you want to pray that, that we're here to receive the Word of God. And it's very important because, again, what I have to offer you is very limited. You know, it's, it's just human wisdom. But if God uses me as a vessel to speak to you, that's infinite. That's powerful. So pray for me. So as I share the word, it is from the Lord, and, and that, that we will all be encouraged. And pray for yourself. And I say this every time I'm here, it's because a lot of times we're listening, but we're not listening. And, and sometimes God is speaking to you. And, and so pray that you're open-minded, open heart to just receive the word and say, I will accept this challenge from God and be transformed, be renewed, and not conform to whatever it is I came in with. So this is an opportunity for you to pray for yourselves and say, I will let go of whatever baggage I have this morning. And I'll come and just be renewed and refreshed by God. And pray for me, again, to, to speak the word of God. And, and that together we will witness and encounter and experience God this morning. So let's take a minute to pray for one another. God, we thank you this morning, and, and we're, through our worship, we're reminded of your redemption, your blood, and, and, and just Jesus just dying on the cross for our sins and allowing us to, to come here freely without worry, without sin, and just coming to you in your presence, and, and just pray that this morning your spirit's with us, and it's just empowering us to come together and unite as a family to, to seek your will and to seek the purpose that you have in our lives, and, and sometimes we're lost in the world. We we, we're, we, we're just we're drifting and, and just pray this morning that you will show us a light and just that we can head towards that light and, and know your desire uh, for us. And I just pray that you use me to, to be your vessel, to be your messenger and just speak the word clearly and, and just pray that together we'll be encouraged and build up and transformed by you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Now, as you know, we're in a series in Ephesians. Uh, this is the only picture I can find online. This is our church, uh, you know, from a few years ago. We, uh, you know, and, and, and today's sermon's title is uh, the, the Mystery of the Redeemed. And, and uh, I think a lot of you, we know that we are the rede uh, redeemed. And, and so we want to discuss and, and continue in the series in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we'll be reading from uh, Ephesians 1, uh, verse 7 to 10. And so if you have your Bible, uh, now's a good time to take it out. If you have a mobile phone, uh, please stay on the Bible app. Don't go anywhere else. You know, just, you know, this is, you know, we're in the house of God, you know, so do not lie. Stay on the mobile app, uh, Bible app, okay? So Ephesians chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, our usher will pass one out to you. And uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament, so uh, it's near the back of the Bible. And uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 7 to 10, very short, four verses only. And again, so if you need a Bible, uh, there's one hand right there. And if you have a mobile app, again, I'm reminding you, this is the house of God. And let's uh, 
Stay on Bible apps, right? Okay, so Ephesians 1, verse 7 to 10. And, and this is the word of God. In him, in him, not him, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on, upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ and as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth very short four verses and one of the things that you would notice is that there's a key word in this scripture or this passage and that's the word redeem or redemption and so in him we have redemption and so the first thing we want to talk about what is redemption and um, and today you know we, we have this idea of redemption that is very interesting uh, so we want to talk about today what does it mean when I tell you the word redemption or redeemed uh, what comes to mind, you know, and, and so I was preparing the sermon and I said, well, the first thing that came to my mind is a gift card, you know, like, so I, I love pho, so, and if you know, I'm a budget conscious guy, so I went to Costco and I bought gift cards for myself because it's like 20% off, right, so, so I, I bought gift cards, and, and, and the, the idea of gift cards is this, is that you can use this gift card to exchange or redeem either food or service or whatever it is. And so when we talk about redemption today, we often think of that there's an exchange of goods or services through monetary or whatever it is. And, and so we, we think of it as a, a very simple and very casual. Uh, if you can imagine with me, you know, if you ever have this dilemma in life, is that you went up to a vending machine, right? And you say, well, I want A11 Snickers or uh, A12 uh, a bag of chips or whatever it is. So when we think of redemption today, we think about that, you know, it, it's some sort of exchange of goods or services or items or things or products, whatever it is. It, it's not something very heavy in our hearts. It's just, it's just a simple exchange, you know, it happens every day. So redemption in our day today is not really that powerful when we mention the word redemption. But 2,000 years ago, you know, when people talk about redeemed or redemption, it's, it's much, much more different. And, and so Paul wrote the Ephesians in probably around 62 AD. And at that time, the word redemption, it, it's, it's very special. It's not what we think of, like, you know, a gift card or, or some coins or a vending machine or a store or grocery, whatever it is. It, it, it has a, a much deeper meaning, you know. So today it's to buy something back or to get something back in exchange of something. But 62 AD, the word redemption is, uh, I'm going to attempt my Greek, uh, Apollo, ap Apollotrosis, I, I might be wrong, I don't know. But, but it's actually made up of two words, right? And, and, and it means to release someone or something by a payment of ransom, which is Lutron, which is uh, it's made up of two words. So what it means 2,000 years ago is, this, is that, that instead of redeeming for a product or, or item or you know, food or whatever it is that you're thinking, like a services, it's actually a redemption or a redemption of a person, a person with flesh and blood. So it's not a, a simple exchange of goods or items, but you're talking about a human being. And that's why at that time, it's often used in a context of freeing a slave. So if someone is a slave to someone else, and they will use this word redemption, meaning to redeem this person from slavery and set him free or exchange him to a different master. And so this is the idea 2,000 years ago that redemption is this freeing of a slave or exchange from one master to a different master. And so it has a, a very, very significant um, uh, a point because that person, the person that's being redeemed, has no right. He, he was uh, a property belonging to someone. And, and so by this, this idea of redemption, that God is going in and, and taking us away from wherever the master was and exchanging it and paying a ransom so we will be set free. So that's the idea of redemption, that, that we were slaves to something else or someone, and, and God redeemed us so that we are now free. And, and you might say this question this morning. say, well, am I really a slave to someone, you know? And, and you know, who is God redeeming me from, right? And, and so if you ever have this thought in your head, you know, I, I really don't want to do this, right? Like, for example, like, I, I want to be a good husband. I mentioned this many, many times. And I, I struggle to be a good husband, right? I want to be a good boyfriend or a husband or, or whatever it is. Like, we have all these thoughts in us. And, and you know, I'm pointing out Wesley. Like, he's smiling at me, right? You know, he just got married. And he's like, I want to be a good husband to Sarah, right? And, and so he's trying, right, really, really hard. But I, I, I'm going to spill a secret. I hope you guys don't mind. So last week, I, I think I was asking Sarah, I was like, how was the marriage, right? And, 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 and so, uh-oh, <laughs> don't be scared, right? And I was asking her, and, and you know, so don't talk to me, because I, I take your secrets, and I'll give it out. But, but, but uh, so I, I talked to Sarah. I was like, How, how's the marriage? And, uh, you know, how's Wesley, and how's living? And then, so is there anything different? And I was like, does he snore? And she was like, yeah. 
he snores, right? And, and here's the thing about, about, about relationship. Like, I, you know, as a husband, I snore too, right? And my wife, and Wesley, you, you need to go through this too, is that, that when I snore, my wife will kick me, right? And, and hope that by kicking me, somehow my issue of snoring will go away. And I don't know if that's medical or whatever it is, but I don't think it is, you know, but she will kick me and, and hopes that somehow my snoring will go away. And I, I told her, I'm, I say, Kate, I'm trying, you know, babe, I'm trying not to snore, but I really don't know what to do because, you know, I want to not snore and you can have a good night's sleep. I can have a good night's sleep, right? But it's not happening. And, and there are times in our lives where we really try to do something, be a good husband, be, be a not snoring husband, you know, and it's just, it's not working. And, and, and you know, sometimes I say, I don't want to get mad. I want to be the chill father, right? You know, like goes around, it's like, yeah, it's okay, whatever, right? So I want to be that dad, you know, the cool dad that my kids will talk to me in their 20s and 30s. But man, my kids do something wrong. Then I, oh, you know, I just can't hold it. I'm like, why are you doing this? You know better. You're like seven now. And I don't really, so, uh, but, 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 so I struggle with that. And, and if you ever have that kind of struggle, here's the thing. You want to do the good that you intend to do, but you can never do it because you are not in charge. In Romans, it tells us that, that, that there's this two things working in us, that the good I want to do, that I cannot do, but the evil, the bad things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And there's a struggle with sin because your master is not you, but sin itself. And, and, and so here's the thing that we all need to be redeemed because God knows I tried, right? And God knows you all tried to be a better person, a better husband, better wife, better whatever it is. But you just can't do it. And, and so we have to ask the question, do I need redeeming? Do I need saving? Am I in trouble? Am I free or am I a slave to my emotions, my sins, my past, my consequences in the actions I've done in the past? Whatever it is. And, 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 and so, you know, and this happens all the time, you know. And, and so are we really free? And if you recognize that, that you are enslaved by something, it might be, you know, even a, a simple can of Coke, you know, like, I don't know if you have that, that, that desire. You know, I, I love Coke, and I'm on a diet all the time. But I see a Coke, and that diet just goes out the window. And I just say, I really want that Coke. Oh, I imagine, you know, that commercial, like, you know, pops open, and then, like, you pour that Coke out, sizzling with eyes and everything. And that, ah, you know, it's like, it's a gateway drug to whatever. I don't know what that is. But, but I, I want to do good, but I just can't. And I, I feel like a lot of you can, can echo and resonate with that. And, and that's why we need to be redeemed. We need to be saved. And, and, and God knows, you know, like rehabs, whatever it is, you know, for Coke addiction, but Coca-Cola addiction, not Coke addiction. <laughs> but, but, you know, so God knows I need to, to get help, but I, no one can help me, you know. But here's the wonderful thing, you know. It, 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 the Bible today, this, the, the morning we read out, in Him, we have redemption. Not in me, not in my wife, not in my husband, not in my kids, not in the pastors. We have redemption. But it says that in Him. And who's this Him? Christ Jesus. In Him, we have redemption. And then the question is this, why Jesus? Why is it that through Jesus Christ, we will have redemption? How are we redeemed? Why Jesus Christ? Why not me? Why not Pastor Dean? Why not... You know, uh, Stanley, he's a counselor. Let's just talk to him, and he will fix all our problems. Why not that problem? Like, why, why can't we do that? And the Bible says this, that in Ephesians 1, 7, of course, it's in him that we can do this. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 14, I mean 11 and 12, sorry, not working. Uh, Jesus is the, so, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation, saving, you know, rescuing, ransoming is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that is telling us that Jesus is the only way. Now, it's, it's very complicated. You now, why Jesus and all that things, you know, because he's the son of God, he's fully man, fully God, and, and all that great things. And, you know, go to the membership class and ask Pastor Dean. We have one every, we have one right now. So go to that class and you will find out about theology and whatever it is. But, but uh, we will not go into that. But, but in, the, in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us. Okay, so take it by faith this morning. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us from our sins. He's the only one that has power to overcome sin and death and all that good thing. So, so why Jesus? Because the Bible tells us he's the only one that you know, was tempted but did not sin. And, and he's the son of God and he saved us and died on the cross and resurrected. All the good stuff. Now... Here's how redemption works, though. You know, uh, it's just beyond that, Jesus is the one that can save us. But if you want to think about redemption, first thing is this, is that there's a need to be redeemed, right? And we talk about that just now, right? So 
So you have issues, uh, troubles, regrets in your lives, and, and you realize that there are goods that I want to do that I cannot do, and the bad things that I don't want to do that I keep on doing. So there is a need, right? So this is how redemption works. The person needs to have a need. So if you're a free person, okay, back in Jesus' time, you don't need to be redeemed because you're free. You're not enslaved to anybody, right? So the first thing is this, is that, that redemption happens only when someone has that need, right? And I have that need. And the second is this, is that, that the person who's doing the redeeming or they're doing the redemption has that desire to do that, you know? For example, you know, back in Jesus' time, there's so many slaves, right? So, so who do you redeem, you know? Like, if I have the ability, I need to make sure I have that connection or the desire or the reasoning to, to redeem someone from slavery and into freedom, right? So, so there is that desire to do so, right? So I, I see some need, and I say, well, I want to help, and that's the desire of the person who's doing the redemption. And third is that you have to have the ability to do the redeeming or the ability to, to redeem someone. For example... I like to buy stuff, and I shared this a, a, a few months ago. Uh, so when I was a kid, I, I loved snacks, and, and I have money, and I stole. Did I share this story? I stole, right? But anyways, uh, pastor stole. Uh, but but so so I wanted to to have snacks, right? And, and, and even though I had the ability to pay for some of the snacks, but I didn't have the ability to to pay for all the snacks that I wanted. So I stole, right? And then so so this is the thing that that if God wants to redeem us, or a person wants to redeem a slave. He or she must have not only the desire to do such a thing, right, but also the ability to do it. You can't just say, well, I want it without the form of payment, right? So, so if I want a new iPhone. I have a 6S right now. So if you want to donate to a fund, uh, I'll take your money. But, but I have a 6S, and I really want to have the newest iPhone, the XS Max 512 gigabyte, whatever it is. Uh, it's only like 1500 bucks, so I, I'll start a fun afterwards. Uh, but, but, you know, I really want that, right? But imagine I want that. I have this desire, and I just say, I want that phone. And I went to a- Apple Store, right? And I say, well, give me that phone, right? And then they will hand me the phone, and then they will ask for a form of payment, right? And then instead of paying for it, I just take it. Do you think they will give it to me? No, right? So, so for redemption to work, for that exchange to work, you have the person doing the redeeming must have the ability to do it. And that's why the theology behind it is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he's fully man, fully human, and fully God, and in dying on the cross, resurrection, all that stuff. That shows us that he has the ability to redeem us, to save us, to free us from our sins, because he did not sin himself. And, and, and so, so that's the third thing, the ability to do it. Now, here's the thing. The last thing is this, is that, that not only there's a need for someone to be redeemed and the desire for the person who wants to do it and the ability and the actual exchange, right? So I can have all that, that intention. I have the money to buy a phone. But if I don't pay, I won't get. Do you guys see what I'm trying to say? Now, this is the reality. You know, Jesus paid for us. He died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible promised that anyone who's in Christ Jesus, he's no longer an old creation, but a new creation. And that's the exchange. He died on the cross so that you and I are redeemed. We're now saved. We're no longer the whatever you in the past, but, but the new you in Christ Jesus. And, and that's how redemption works. And, and I want you to kind of get that around your head and say, well, God has saved us, right? We need saving. God is willing. God has ability. And he did it. Now, we're sitting here this morning because we are now the redeemed. Do you recognize that? That God has paid a price. God has paid a ransom for you and I to be a new person, a new creation that's sitting here this morning. And, and so that's how redemption works. But, but you know, why blood? You know, the, uh, this is the simple one. And so the Bible tells us that, that in him we have redemption. But in uh, Hebrews 9.22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So that's like a quick thing. So I want to go into kind of like the core thing this morning. Is this is that what is the purpose of the redeemed? You know, so God saved us, right? You know, we have issues in the past, brokenness and things like that. And God healed us, saved us, brought us here. But what's the point? What is the reasoning behind God's, you know, sacrifice or or, or exchange or ransom? And, and and let's read the scripture again in, in here in Ephesians chapter one. This is what it says in him we have redemption through his blood, which is Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Here comes what uh, this purpose is, which he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. And here's the, here's the thing, that, that God did not redeem us so that we can do whatever we want. We have this, you know, sometimes I go to a pastor's meeting, and I might share this before. I, I'm confused because I've been preaching messages for so long. Sometimes I don't know if I share this here. But, but you know, I, I don't like going to pastor's prayer meeting because, you know, it, when you go to a pastor's prayer meeting, sometimes it's like a comparison, like, of sizes, you know, it's it's weird. Like pastor would be like, "Hey, I got 150. Well, I, well, I got 400. I have a thousand people in my church. Oh, here's an offering number. I have like uh, a million dollars. I have like 200,000." And, and and people are sitting around like you know talking about their church and their struggles. You know, like this is like, "Oh, we only have a thousand people. I'm really praying that God will give us more people," and, and, and things like that. And so sometimes when I go to the pastor's meeting, I I, I feel sad rather than renewed and happy or excited or passionate. And, and I hear so many stories, and and so so sometimes I have this this, this struggle: is is what are we doing? You know, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the redeemed? You know, like like here it says to unite all things in Him and heaven and on earth. We're supposed to bring people in a reconciliation with God, and but instead of doing that, we're sitting around comparing sizes. You know, like. Recently, I went to Europe, and I went to Rome and Florence and, and Venice and, and Paris, and, and I've noticed they all have grand, pretty churches, right? And, and, and then, but if you ask, you know, what is the, the state of religion or, or Christianity in these countries or these uh, cities is that no one really cares for faith anymore. And, and so I think somewhere along the line, we, we lost the purpose, and, and when decided that, that you know, that the gospel mission is no longer important the mission is to build bigger churches and have stained glasses or whatever it is becomes the sole purpose of the church to have numbers instead of you know people being saved and, and caring for them and and, and I, I don't know you know they're all great things you know and, and sometimes our church myself included we're so focused on child care programs Retreats, that's fun, and, and exciting youth programs, and, and you know, a community, and, and, and games, and all these wonderful things. I'm not saying they're bad things, but they are the byproduct of what we're supposed to do. But but sometimes we would shift the focus instead of focus on the primary things, which is right here. It says that that in, in, in full time that we're to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth, and and that's what we're supposed to do. And, and sometimes we we forget to do that reconciliation between man and God. Now we start to do a lot of things are just between people. Like you know, we, uh, you know, part of my struggle is this: is that uh, you know, in, in, in the Bible tells us that that but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once uh, far off, like we're not supposed to be here, right? And, and but but God, you know, in our peace, He has brought us together, and and, and so He will, you know, uh, take down the, the the walls divide us and abolishing the line, and so Jews and Gentiles can come together in verse 16, and and now we can reconcile both to God. In, and one body through cross, therefore by killing the hostility. We're supposed to bring people closer to God, and, and we're supposed to have this reconciliation by our church and myself. Sometimes we're so focused on different things that has nothing to do with reconciliation with God. And, and I ask myself and say, well, what, what happened to us? You know, Because there is a purpose for the redeemed, and that is to, to really bring people to reconciliation with God. And once you reconcile with God, that's how you build a community. That's how you have a good relationship. Because when you're good with God, you're good with people, right? Like, imagine you're really good with God. Then you will live by this, this very simple commandment and beatitude. This is that, that, that love your enemies, right? And imagine that's what we practice in our church, right? In our relationship, in our families, and whatever it is. Then, then everything. Can, there's no conflict, guys, right? Because you love Jesus. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, there's no conflict because you've got to love your enemy. And, and, and so, so there's no one in this world that you cannot love and you cannot reconcile. But here's the thing. We, we try to love people first. Then we love God, right? And that's kind of like just it doesn't work that way. Those who love people might not love God, but those who love God will definitely love the people around you. And so we have to kind of refocus on that. And, and I was heard this, and I don't know if it's by uh, Pastor Rick Warren now, but I was reading this, and, and someone said that Pastor Rick Warren, uh, you know, Saddleback Church in SoCal, once shared this, is that there are only two things that Christians can do in this world that he or she cannot do in heaven, right? And he says one is to sin, and the other is to share the gospel. And he posed this question. He says, uh, that which one do you think God placed us here on earth to do? Two things, right? Of course, theologically, there are more things, marriage and suffering and stuff like that. But anyway, so there's a point to this, right? That we're called here to do gospel missions, guys. 
to reconcile people with God, not, not just with each other, right? That's great, you know, but, but in order for this to work, this got to work, right? If we're not good with God, any relationship that we're doing right now will be based on our human nature, our own strength. If we're good with God, in 1 John 4, 19 says that, that we love because God loved us first, right? Are you loved by God, right? Because if you are, then you are empowered and you're driven to love people beyond your own capacity and comprehension. And so, so we have to really look at this purpose and ask ourselves, that, that God, why did you save us? Why did you redeem us? And here's the discipleship question, right? The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says that, that we're supposed to go and make disciples, bringing them to faith, teaching them, building them, and sending them out ourselves. But how much sending, how much preaching, how much converting are we doing, or how much teaching are we doing? We have a gospel mission. The purpose of the redeem is to bring people to God so that they can be reconciled with God. And in turn, that will lead to reconciliation between men and men as well. So that's the purpose, to unite everything in heaven and on earth because we are the redeemed. That's our purpose. And, and, and do we recognize that? You know, we're sitting here, God saved us, paid a ransom. It's not so that we can enjoy, you know, Sunday mornings or, you know, have a cup of coffee with our friends, but really to do something. There's a purpose. We're to get to work, to bring people into reconciliation with God. Now, that seems very straightforward, right? You know, God saved us so we can do something. I mean, that's kind of like the way it works. Now, for example, you know, like, uh, you know, if we have to, you know, if I'm the coach of, you know, Team USA, right, basketball, you know, uh, it's, it's very easy for me to pick the teams that I want, right? And then so if God wants to have this great mission to convert the world, right, so that's got to be like all-stars, right? So, so I'll pick Kevin Durant, you know, LeBron James, and, you know, like, Boogie Cousins, whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, he's coming back, you know, so, so all these great people, that's the team that I will pick, right, because, man, this purpose is huge, we are, you know, the redeemed are supposed to reconcile people with God, that's a huge task, that's a huge job, like, that's like, boom, top of the list, right, we're supposed to do that, so what kind of people would you pick, right, and we know this already, who did Christ Jesus pick for his 12 disciples, right, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, people who have temper issues and all these things, you know, like, like so he, he picked a group of flawed people, and, and here's the thing, what is the mystery of the redeemed? It's not the purpose that is mystical to us, right? The mystery is this, is that God picked a group of people that are not supposed to be there, you know? It was supposed to be the Jews, but they didn't work out, so God picked the Gentiles, so God was picking second best. No, no, it says this is that God had this plan, and before time, he knew who he wanted to be on this team, and, and we are supposed to be on this team. It says here, here in this, uh, in which he lodged out in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus, right? So, so God knew all this. He wanted to pick you and I to be the redeemed, to, to fulfill the purpose of the great commission, to share the gospel, to bring reconciliation to people. He wanted us to do that. He wanted us. And that is a great mystery because why us? Why you? Why me? Some of you are very smart, so I think maybe there's a reason for that. I'm not so smart, you know? I'm not so good. Uh, you know, like, I, I lead the young adult ministry with the Chinese side, and, and uh, so I, I, you know, I see so many gifted people who are gifted in worship and teaching, and, and some of them are, are much more gifted than I am, you know? And, and so why would God redeem me to do this, you know? And that's like the O-Star question, right? If you were to pick a team of O-Stars, who would you pick? Most definitely not myself. Yet... Somehow, you know, God is picking people that's beyond our imagination, blows our minds. You know, sometimes I, I feel like my seven-year-old is a better evangelist than I am because she's not afraid to share the gospel to her classmates, right? It's so interesting. She's telling people about Jesus' love and she's praying in public and she's talking about Jesus unashamed, you know? And, and who would pick a seven-year-old to be an evangelist? Not me. That's God's wisdom, you know? And, and sometimes I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy is great with speech, right? He's going to be a great evangelist. He goes out, he says nothing about Christ Jesus, right? It doesn't make any sense. And, and that's the mystery, guys. We're called not because we're good. God didn't save us because we're all stars, right? He's like, man, this guy's really good. I'm going to save him. My, uh, my fantasy league of uh, salvation team, like, check one, right? It doesn't work like that. God's picking, like, the worst player. Uh, and and that, that is the mystery. Like, why would he pick you and me? I just don't get it. And some of you might be saying, well, I'm pretty good. You know, like, I, 
have you seen my conversion rate? You know, like everyone I talk to, they come to Christ Jesus. And you know what? The funny thing about the Bible says this is that, that, that people come to faith not by us, but by grace of God. You know, so I didn't do any of that, right? It was Christ Jesus. It was the Spirit that did all that conversion. And, and somehow along the line, we start to think we're deserving and all that stuff. But, but we have this idea that God chose us because we're worthy. But the mystery is this, is that we are unworthy. See, if God chose us because we're worthy, then there is no mystery. There's no mystery in that. Choosing the best people, that's human nature. The mystery is that God chose those who are undeserving, unworthy, broken, lost, and sinful to do this great work of reconciling the world with him and, and that blows my mind because it just it doesn't make any sense and that's why the foolishness of men is the wisdom of god you know it, it, it just it doesn't make sense that god is calling you and i to do all these things and and that mystery is just you know we we're now fellow heirs you know members of the same body partakers of promising christ jesus through the gospel in, in, in Ephesians tells us that, that there is no longer a division between you and I, and we are all redeemed to fulfill this purpose. And, and so, so that's, that's the mystery. We're called. We're not undeserving. We're not good. We're broken. But God used us. He's calling us to do this, right? And, and so it comes to the application part. Like, we got to ask the question, right? So what do we do now? I get it. I need help, and God helped me, and he saved me, and he's giving me a new purpose, not to build big churches or buy big houses or nice cars, but to save people from their sins and reconcile with God and things like that. So that's what we're supposed to do. So how do we do it, you know? And this is the life of the redeemed. As a, a person who's being redeemed by Christ Jesus, what do we do? How do we live? The first thing is this, is that in Philippians 1 to 27, it says that only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or in absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we're supposed to what? We're supposed to really live out this life that is worthy of the redeemed, okay? Get the ourselves right, you know, our focus right, and, and live right. So that's what we're supposed to do in Philippians 1.27. And side by side, together, but by the faith, for the faith of the gospel, right? So that's what we're supposed to do. So how do we do it? First things first is this, is that uh, use your gifts, right? You know, God has all given us gifts in this church. Each and every one of you has a gift. And in Ephesians 4, it says this, that, that, you know, he gave, which God gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for their work of ministry, for building out the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. We are supposed to use this gift that we have for this gospel mission, right? For all of us, we're supposed to build the body of Christ, equipping one another, encourage one another, so that we can bring reconciliation from men to God. And, and, and so I got to ask you, right, if you think about it, you know, why do we worship? We have the worship team that came up, you know. What is the purpose of worship, right? It, it's to reconcile people with God, you know. So when they sing, when they pick songs, it's supposed to be about reconciliation. How do you bring praises to Jesus? How do you bring people to God and say, I want to be with God? In the message that we preach as pastors, our job is not to make you feel good, but to help you reconcile with God and, and to see what God wants you to do. And your job as wives and husbands and kids and everybody, our job is very clear to build up the body of Christ. To, to, to equip, to mature. And, and so we, we need to use our gifts and our roles and our position in life. And, and whatever it is that God has given you, we use that to bring reconciliation, to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints. And, and so, so first thing first, if you're redeemed and you have a purpose now, use your gifts. Use it well. Don't waste it, you know. There's a the t parable of the talents, right? You know, there's a 1,000, 2,000, and a 5,000. And, and, and so, you know, don't bury that gift that God's given you. Don't say, well, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm anxious, I'm afraid. I don't like to speak in front of people. I, I don't like it at all. But God says, well, guess what? If there's no other preacher, you're speaking. Come up, you know, speak, right? And, and so I got to do it, right? I can't not do it because God has called me, and he has given me just enough strength to preach a message or two kind of thing, right? So God can use you as well. If you're willing to be used by God, use your gifts, and God will use you. He has called you for a purpose. So use your gifts. Use my gifts for the fullness of the gospel. And second, what do we do? You know, first one is use our gifts. And then second 
is this is I celebrate your differences. And I, I love this. You know, sometimes we have this issue in churches that we like everyone to be like us, you know, like, you know, everyone's like dressing the same way. I grew up in a very conservative church and we were taught, you know, as a kid that, that on Sundays you wear a suit and a tie and dress shoes. You know, we all look the same. We're all manufactured the same way, you know, black suit, white shirt you know and then so so we do that right and then no sandals no flip-flops and whatever it is and, and and we have this conformity in the churches that everyone's supposed to be the same you know godly people all look the same way you know and anyone that doesn't look like that is not spiritual so so we have this idea that we should all be the same but but i, I love the scripture in the bible and it's a long one and it's in first corinthians it says that for the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot should, said, uh, should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, then that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, then where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, if one were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of, for you, uh, nor, need, uh, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more representable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that they, will, uh, that they may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 26. And this is what it's telling us as a church. It's okay that we're different. It's okay that you have different gifts, different feelings, and different understanding of things, and different opinions. It's okay to have that. We are to celebrate that. Can you imagine if you're married today and your wife is an identical copy of you? Now, we think that's kind of cool, right? Like, a lot of people is like, I wish my wife were like me, watch basketball, snore, and whatever it is, you know. And so I, I wish that were true, right? But the truth is, if my wife is the carbon copy of me, that's kind of crazy because I just married myself, right? That's nuts. But, but if, if she is just like me, okay, then she will make the same mistakes as I do right now. The beauty of differences is this, is that, and I share this with a lot of married couples, is that, that, that we celebrate that because you're so different that you can cover one another and that you are whole now because you, the things that you cannot do, right, she can do now, right? And the things that you can do and she cannot do, you somehow fulfill each other. And, and that's the church, isn't it? That, that we're all different. Don't, don't conform people. Don't say you all need to sing worship like this or you all need to preach like this or you all need to study the Bible like this. There is no one way because we know, we know we are called to be different members of the body. Some of you will have the gift of caring and you care, please do that, right? And some of you will have the gift of teaching, preaching, do that, please. Don't ask the preaching people to become a caring person. That's just nuts, right? They can't do it. And don't ask the caring people to preach, because sometimes I hear those messages. They're nuts too, you know? And it just, you know, it, 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 so let's not do that. Let's not force people into things that they're not called to do. As long as you're using your gift to reconcile the body of Christ, to bring people to Christ Jesus, I think that's good, right? That's the great thing. So don't force people to do things that they're not supposed to do. Unless God has called them to do it, then that's a different story, because the Spirit will give gifts according to the need. But we, let's not do that, guys. Let's use our gifts. Let's celebrate the differences. If you can sing, amen, please sing. Don't ask me to sing, right? And if you can preach, preach. You know, don't ask me to preach. I, I feel like God will use all of us together to build the body of Christ. Not one single person. And no one's more important than the other person. Remember what the scripture says. is that, that, that you know, It's those parts that you feel like it's not visible that is really important to us. A lot of times we don't pay attention to like the office managers of the church, you know. Without them, there's no bulletin, you know. Without them, there's, there's no one paying the bills, writing the checks, and, and we don't see that. We assume things just happen, and, and, but they are the indispensable parts of the church, right? The administration people, right? Like, it's so easy to be the pastor standing up here and say things, right? But do you know, in order for the lights to be on, you all need to contribute, right? In order for things to work, we all need to pitch in. 
Can you imagine if I'm the only one that makes offering to the church? We would not have this church, right? <laughs> we don't even have electricity now. But, but, you know, but because we all use our gifts, use our blessings, and contribute to the body, equipping the saints, bring people to reconciliation with God, that we're here this morning. Use your gifts. Celebrate the differences. Well, some of you are tech people. Great, good for you, right? I'm not a tech person, so I'm going to ask you to do tech stuff, right? And, and some of you are artsy people. I, I'm not, so I'm going to ask you to do artsy things, you know? In fact, the other day, I, I threw uh, Pastor Ding under the bus. We're thinking of doing, like, a, a picnic outdoor cooking area in the church. And I say, well, Pastor Ding, can you do it? He's super busy, right? But I just say, you know, I hope the Chinese side is not offended. I know that we have elders here. Uh, don't be offended. And I, I told him that, Dean, I want you to do it because sometimes the Chinese people, uh, their taste in, in, in decoration is just like, oh, you know, different. Celebrate the difference, right? <laughs> celebrate the difference, right? Uh, so so that's, that's what I'm saying. It's okay to celebrate the differences because when I go, I, I, I switch my mindset to the Chinese mindset. This is great. The color is great, right? And, and so, so, so that's, that's what we need to do. We need to celebrate, embrace one another, and just bring us together to really say, well, we are one family. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese side or English side. We're one family. There's no division. It doesn't matter if you're ABC or OBC. OBC means overseas-born Chinese, right? It doesn't matter. Like, we're all Christ Jesus. We're all family. There's no Jews or Gentiles. And none of that. We celebrate that because without the frugal savings of the first generation, there's no extravagant spending of the second generation. You know, th that's the truth, right? Isn't it? We need to celebrate that, enjoy that, empower ourselves with that. And, and so celebrate the difference. God has called us to do different things. Enjoy that, celebrate that. Don't look at that, well, why, don't, why, why, why isn't she like me? Why isn't he like me? Because God made us different. Celebrate that. And how to live as redeemed. Third thing is this, is that not only we use our gift, we celebrate our differences, we view others correctly. And, and, and here's the big issue that we have in church is this, uh, is, is, is that uh, sometimes we feel like we have better judgment than other people, right? In, in Romans, it's that we should view ourselves with sober assessment. And in, in Ephesians 4, it says, uh, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, uh, for the Lord, uh, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which is, you know, we know that we're called as a redeemed to, to serve the gospel mission. And it says this, that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See, we're called to view one another correctly with humility, with love, with, with gentleness, with patience, with bearing with one another. And, and we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to have this eager sense of maintaining the unity. And I love this verse. It says that the unity has been given to us already because this is to maintain, not to build, right? So all we have to do is don't mess up, right? Maintain it. View ourselves rightly. Have you noticed that when a church, you know, when we first start a church, right, everyone's passionate, everyone's caring, everyone's accepting each other, and then we're just on fire for the Jesus and then for the gospel, and we'll just do everything that we can to build up. We have a mission now, right? And it's all, oh, when things start to settle down, we start to feel good about ourselves, and we start to say, hey, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, and, and, and things like that. We start to divide because we think we're smarter now because we have experience, we have money, we have power, we have wisdom, whatever it is. And we're no longer humble, we're no longer gentle with our words, and we're no longer patient, and we're no longer forgiving and bearing with one another. And then that's when things happen. We're no longer united. Church splits, you know, people fight. I'm with this guy, I'm with that guy. And, and, and so we have all these things. So we have to view others correctly. View them with a sense of humility, with gentleness, with patience, with this sense of bearing with one another in love, and be eager to maintain that unity. We, we have to use our gifts, celebrate our differences, and really just view each other the right way and just maintain the unity God's given us. There is no you, and there's no separation between the Chinese and the English side. We're all children of God, you know, we're sons and daughters of God, you know. I serve on both congregations, and sometimes I feel like we, we pit each other against each other, you know, like we're saying that they're too Chinese, uh, or they're too ABC, and whatever it is, and it, 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 no, we're all redeemed. We all have the same purpose. We celebrate that. We use that to our advantages, you know, and we, we share the gospel message. And I, I just urge you this morning to think about this, is that what gifts have God given you so that you can bring people to reconciliation with Christ Jesus? Not only to have reconciliation between friends and families and members, but, but most importantly, our job is, is to bring people to Christ Jesus. Because once you're right with Christ, everything else will be right. Do we, do we see that? Right with God, everything else will be right. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you this morning that you paid a great price for us. You paid a ransom using your son's life to, to die on the cross for us so that we are redeemed now. You have given us a purpose, the purpose of making disciples, to, to bring people to Christ, to, to bring people into this family. So I ask this morning that you empower us, give us the vision and direction and the wisdom and strength to bring reconciliation to this world so that they can reconcile with you. And when we do that, this family will grow, the relationship will get better, and our lives will be blessed because of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jide 你们效忠是保罗但是我觉得神用他也不是没有道理一个人如果什么都不懂那你要选哪一样的人来做你的统帅呢是不是这个大卫他没有把这些心思用在坏的事情上面那这就是适合我们的对不对他有聪明有智慧所以他来这边告
他的什么叔叔，是不是？就是叫尼尔啊，尼尔就来问他了，你去看他的撒母耳，撒母耳跟你说什么呀？可见这个叔叔有没有野心啊？有，这叔叔的儿子做大将军，做元帅，是不是？所以这叫什么？将门虎子，是不是有这样的说法？也就是说，他的叔叔本身也是有什么有野心的，所以他的儿子亚尼尔啊，很自然的。就跟着一起做，这也是很自然啊，就是让我们看见，有可能是当时的一个环境，在这里，所以他特别讲尼尔的儿子亚尼尔，他就是，呃，扫罗的，应该叫什么？卡森是不是？卡森，所以是伊斯波设的什么人呢？唐的叔叔，是不是？有可能是唐叔，对吧？不然就唐伯，不管了，不是伯伯就是叔叔了，对不对？就是唐的，就是。扫罗的，呃 ，cousin， 这样讲你们就了解。好，这个人，他想要自己做王，对不对？但是呢，又做不了，所以他就，我们今天讲挟啊挟天子以令诸侯，是不是有这个道理？这就是这边所让我们看见的。他就用这样的方法，所以花了五年时间，把这些以色列人都终于拢在一起了。好，现在尼尔的儿子他们带着仆人来到了基遍，就是我刚刚说马哈念来到基遍，在基遍这边有个词，在这个词呢，他们就对坐，呃，亚尼尔的呃亚尼尔带着的扫罗的仆人，约押带着大卫的仆人，你就知道就是这两军呢，是不是？还是用扫罗的仆人，不是用什么伊斯波设的仆人，好，你就看见这些人的心还是想着什么，扫罗。对不对？啊，圣经就用这样的描述，所以他们两军就坐在那个一个大池，可能他们在下面打水。这个、考古有看过哈，就是在那个祈祷本圣经，我因为没有办法给大家印出来，这样子太那个了哈。但是就是讲到说，他们就坐在那里，这个亚尼尔就跟约押两个对话了，让亚尼尔就说了，让少年人起来怎么样搏斗吧？他说戏耍，其实就是搏斗。为什么呢？亚尼尔可能想，如果那么多人都出来打，不就内战就爆发了吗？那我们先派几个，如果派十二个，你也派十二个。如果我输了，我们就听你的。那好了，我们就归顺你。如果没有，我们没有输，我们赢了，那就这个。所以他们派来的军兵肯定是什么？超强武士，想不到两败俱伤，十二个人彼此都怎么样？互相揪头又互相刺肉，结果就什么？一起死掉。这叫做什么？军力相当。那但是实际上，可能亚尼尔就是这十二个人厉害，想着这一炮而红，但没想到这十二个人死了以后，两个就开始打起来了。在打仗的过程当中，看见亚尼尔怎么样，失败，所以以色列人都逃跑了。当然，亚尼尔也跟着要跑，但约押的军队却怎么样？哎，同追猛打。那这边就让我们看见，圣经说了，他们在这样的光景当中。十八节说，希鲁亚的三个儿子，这希鲁亚就是大卫，大卫的姐妹，是不是？有可能他妹妹，好有啊姐姐啊，好不管他的姐妹，他姐妹有几个孩子？三个儿子全都做将军了，是不是？全部都都是大卫的勇士。这边圣经特别讲约押、亚比塞、亚撒黑，为什么要把他们三个人名字列出来呢？因为他们三个人确实是在这一个沙母耳记上做了一些事情。让我们可以学的，亚沙黑死了，为什么会死？他就穷追猛打的要追这个亚尼尔。其实亚尼尔给他两次机会的，他说什么呢？亚尼尔回头说了，第一次，哈，二十节，这边讲到说亚沙黑脚快如野鹿，表示亚沙黑还是有值得什么炫耀的地方，或者说他值得骄傲的地方。他想我一定追得上你，好，再加上我年轻，如果按这样子来算的话。他是叔叔，怎么样也要六十岁吧？好，我我就这样猜测了。所以那亚沙黑呢，他就想着，如果他是大卫姐姐的儿子，或者妹妹的儿子，不管他是大卫姐妹的儿子，那他怎么样也跟大卫差不多年龄，三十上下，跑起来又像野鹿，是不是很快？好，就是这样子，仗着自己的优势，他猛穷追猛打，要来追杀这个呃亚尼尔。想不到亚尼尔给他讲，你或向左转，或向右转，有没有？拿出一个少年人，剥去他的战衣，意思就是什么
，你就是要一个什么战利品嘛，对不对？所以你要一个战利品，你不要拿我的了，你是杀不了我了，我都知道了，是不是？你随便把右边左边都有嘛，你怎么不去抓一个？那么你还不是你的目的就是要炫耀或者骄傲，你就是想要得到战利品，你抓到一个也可以了，那你是你的攻击了，但是这个亚沙黑要什么？我就是要将军的，为什么？我杀谁没有用的。没有办法一炮而红，是不是这样讲？一举成名嘛，就是要杀这个，不是这样讲吗？杀人要杀元帅，你看抓什么抓头啊？有没有那个啊？就是这个道理，这就是亚沙黑，他不肯，不肯。亚尼尔又在说了，他说你转开，不要追赶我爸，我何必杀你呢？若杀你，我有什么脸去见你哥哥约押呢？可见你哥哥这个臭名远播，是不是？你哥哥凶狠、毒辣，谁都知道了，就是这样的道理。所以他说你不要再追我，为什么要？得罪你哥哥呢？我都知道你是他三兄弟了，但是亚沙黑有没有听话？没有，继续追赶。圣经让我们看见亚沙黑继续追，所以这个亚尼尔，你看随便我就把我的枪往后一顿，就把谁给杀死了，对吧？就把亚沙黑给杀死了。可见亚沙黑只有什么有勇无谋，是不是这样的？所以亚沙黑就死了。所以我说他也是白死了，炫耀骄傲。一个人的骄傲，不是有一句话说“好奇心会杀死一只猫”吗？对不对？他这个是骄傲会杀死的他自己。好，在这里让我们看见，这就是亚沙黑，他就这样子就死掉了。那当然，追赶的人一看到也就不追了，是不是？看到亚沙黑就停在那里了。但是你看，圣经说约押跟他的兄弟亚比塞，他们俩还是怎么样？继续追二十四节，约押跟亚比塞追赶亚尼尔，日落的时候。到了通基遍旷野的路旁，基雅对面的亚马山，被亚米人到怎么样逃跑的都已经聚集了。现在叫做什么？人多势众，他们已经也整军编队好了。那是食物者为什么？对啦，这就是约押跟他的兄弟，只好什么摸摸鼻子走了吧，对不对？所以他们为什么不继续追赶？并不是他们那个。没有报仇的心，而是他们什么？看到环境情势已经开始对亚尼尔有利了，所以他们才走了。当他们走的以后，你看他们两两军在追赶啊。之前他说了，我觉得亚尼尔说的这句话也是一个非常好的一个提醒。他说：“刀剑岂可永远杀人吗？你岂不知终究必有苦楚吗？”这句话其实可以提醒我们，我们的嘴啊，快如利剑。岂可永远伤人呢？是不是？好，这边就提醒我们：我们虽然没有真正的刀剑，但我们的嘴就像利剑一样，所以终究必有苦楚。可以得得，就是占上风、得便宜的时候，我们不要急着马上贪嘴上之快，对不对？而是慢慢想一想，我今天这句话说出来，好还是不好？我有跟你们分享过，我的老师常说这句话。颜如宝剑，不可乱发；一路人耳，有力难拔。是不是这句话？啊，就是这样子。所以，真的，我们的话就像宝剑一样，进到人的耳里面，就像这个，终究会带来苦楚。所以不要乱发。那在这里让我们看见，所以约约押还怪了。他说：“我指着永生的神起誓，如果你不说戏耍，我们还会做这种事情吗？”你看，马上就把这个责任推。推脱了，那不管哪一个，我们也知道，这也是亚尼尔他的心意。他当时就想用小战场来把你们给吞下去了，但想不到原来大卫的军兵这么厉害。那也因为这样子，后来他自己处于不利的环境，他就想要来转投大卫啊，因为自己也在这个战场上看见了他的不利之处。<咳>那我们就看见最后打胜打完仗，大家数点一下。大卫的军兵少了十九个，亚尼尔的军兵呢，三百六十个，一看就知道这这叫什么兵力悬殊，是不是？所以这边让我们看见，两军赶快走。圣经说了，他们都连走了多少天呢、啊？一夜，是不是一夜？这边呢、啊，圣经说了，亚尼尔，亚尼尔啊，和跟随他的人整夜。经过亚拉巴，过约旦河，走过毕伦，到了马哈念
连夜赶路啊，对不对？那约押呢？约押把他的弟弟安葬了以后，他的他们家人是在伯利恒嘛，对不对？安葬了他的弟弟以后，他们也是什么呀？又走了一夜，也是连夜赶路，大家都连夜赶路，为什么？就怕再打起来，对不对？要整军呢、啊，所以就让我们看见，这就是当时的情况。求神怜悯我们啊！我觉得这句话真的提醒我们：刀剑岂可永远？是不是他终究会带来苦楚？求主使用我们每一个人，让我们能够在神面前被神使用，使我们的生命、我们的生活都在主面前被主来来什么锻炼、长大、成人。我们起来祷告，在父神们来到你面前，向主献上感谢，实在是你的话丰丰富富，让我们阅读，我们就越看见神，你真是借着你的仆人们，让我向我们说话。让我们借着他们来学习谦卑，在你面前，也借着他们，主啊，也得到安慰鼓励。就求主你大能的时候，继续托住我们每一个人，能够把你的话应用在我们的生命当中，使我们能够活出你要我们活的样式，成为神你自己荣耀的见证人。愿主你在我们每个人身上得着主你该得的荣耀。祷告感谢，奉靠耶稣基督得胜的名求，阿门。